The human tongue is a great and wonderful gift of the Creator, with which no other earthly creature is endowed. It is written, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. It therefore reveals the real true condition of the heart and by what it is governed. End of quote. And you know, that last part of that phrase really hit me, and I would assume it would hit you too. You know, the Lord making a statement in his word, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, but then it reveals the true condition of your spiritual life. And you know, when you stop and think about the things that come out of our mouths, uh, yeah, there's some good things. I trust a lot of good things. But the truth of the matter is, uh, when I get our, we get our dander up a little bit, or somebody says something that offends us, or things just don't go our way, it's just amazing. It starts in the thought process, and before you know it, things start coming out. And we always regret them later. And we have to you know, ask the Lord's forgiveness, and I trust if we've offended somebody with our words, we would ask their forgiveness, which is something we should be doing. But we're going to take just a moment to um, read through the chapter, and then just approach it as it, the context kind of reveals itself in an overall picture. So please follow along in your Bibles uh, and pay attention to each of the verses. We're not going to go verse by verse again, but we're going to be referring to these, but also mainly emphasizing uh, in practical sense how these things should be applied in the lives of those who profess to be children of the only living and true God, the Lord Jesus Christ. It starts out again in verse chapter 3, my brethren, speaking of course to believers, let not many of you become teachers knowing that ye shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also to ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and both great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of bird and, uh, beast and bird, a reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men, who have been made in the similitude or likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie about the, against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing, thing are, are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, 
willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now God will bless the reading of his word. Now this chapter really is kind of divided into two parts. Uh, the first 12 verses deal with tongue, the tongue and its works. And you may not think of the tongue as being a work. You know, we talked about works this morning in chapter 2. And yet it's very clear from this particular passage, particularly verse uh, 13, I believe it is, uh, how you use your tongue and how you control your tongue is something you have to work at. It is, a, it is a work that should be manifested in your life that you exercise spiritual wisdom in how you speak and not earthly wisdom in how you speak. And I'll tell you, it is a tough job. It is hard work. And scripture makes it very clear how difficult it is for us to control this little mechanism in our mouth that reveals what's really going on within us spiritually. And it's sad to hear many times those who are out and out vocal for the Lord Jesus Christ all of a sudden start saying things that are just totally dishonoring to the Lord. And, you know, I trust that as we go through this, um, that you'll just get the, the gist of what the Spirit of God is trying to teach us here in this third chapter. So the first part of the chapter deals with the tongue and its, and its works. Then, of course, the second half, starting with verse 13, focusing really on the same topic, talks about wisdom, which is earthly, and wisdom that is from above. And that, that wisdom will be exemplified in the way we speak and use our tongue. Now, there's a couple of other verses here in James that I want to just look at. As long as we're talking about the tongue, we'll just deal with the tongue and, um, and a few other passages. You go back to chapter 1, verse 19, which we've already dealt with very briefly, although we not, did not stress it, stress, uh, stress it very much. It says in verse 9, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. And also there is slow to wrath. But the emphasis here, be slow to speak. We like to say it this way, think before you speak. You know, uh, unfortunately, more often we speak, and then we think afterwards, oh, I probably really shouldn't have said that. Well, the damage is already been done. Then if you go over to chapter 4, we have one other passage there, or two passages, that one like this, verses 11 and 12 of chapter 4. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. Short sentence, but the emphasis, again, is related to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? All right, so these are two other passages in addition to chapter 3, which deal with the tongue as well. Now, James' epistle is not the only place in Scripture uh, which focuses on the tongue. 
It's interesting that the book of Proverbs and the book of James, probably two of the most practical books, at least what most people feel are two of the most practical, practical books in the Bible, deal with the speech and with the tongue. And as it is always good to support biblical truth with biblical truth, we're going to take just a moment to look at a few verses in Proverbs to show that this isn't the only place that this is mentioned. So if you would, just for a moment, don't lose your place here, but turn to Proverbs chapter 15. And I'm just going to read a few verses here just to show you again what God's word has to say. And take note at what is being said. In Proverbs 15, verse 1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Did you ever notice in your household when somebody starts speaking loudly, harshly, what begins to happen? Everybody starts speaking harshly and loudly. If you speak softly, it says an entirely different tone. Excellent advice here in this verse. Verse 2, the tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of, of fools pours out or forth or out foolishness. Verse 4, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Verse 7, the lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the fool does not do so. Now, there's many other passages in Proverbs, some we will allude to. But if you go through the book of Proverbs, you're going to find all kinds of references, again, to the use of the tongue. Now, as we approach this a little bit further, you know, it is always important to understand, to know how to speak, when to speak, where to speak, what to speak. You know, we really have to think before we speak. And, you know, many times we speak rapidly because of something somebody has said to us or done to us, and we react instantaneously by human nature because, you see, you're not going to talk to me that way. See, that's kind of the way we, as human nature, react to things. But, you see, as you stop to think about things, you know, in 1 Corinthians 3.19, it says, the wisdom of this world is foolishness. And, you know, when you start speaking out, and this is part of the last part of this chapter, too, talking about uh, the, the wisdom of the righteous and the wisdom, wisdom of the world. When you start speaking like the wisdom of the world, you have to understand, Scripture says, the wisdom of this world is foolishness. And I, again, refer to a law professor I had this morning, but uh, this was a different one with a different statement that I never forgot. And it deals with uh, speaking foolishly, speaking too quickly before you think. And this little statement goes like this. It is better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and leave no doubt. <laughs> Never forgot that. It's better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and leave no doubt. And unfortunately, all too often, that's exactly what we do. You know, when we speak in a worldly manner, the nature that's within us, 
Yeah, not the godly nature that's with us. He'll take care of that. But it's when our nature exerts itself. You can rest assured, when you open your mouth, it will be no doubt that many of the things that come out of your mouth are very foolish. In Proverbs 10, 19, the Revised Standard reads this way. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Proverbs 17, 27. He who restrains his words has knowledge. Proverbs 21, 21. He who keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Now, did you notice the verbs that were used here? Restrain, keeps, restrain that thing. Keep it in your mouth, closed. You see, if you do that, now that doesn't mean there aren't times to speak, but we're being warned against here about foolish teaching. And of course, in addition to this, probably one of the greatest things to keep in mind is in Matthew 26 or 12, 36, where Jesus says, but I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Now be honest with yourself. Have you ever really thought about what the Lord said there when you just let things blurt out of your mouth that you're going to give account for every foolish thing you say? I have to be honest, I, I don't think that way very often. I, I do a little bit more since I've been studying this and preparing. I'm more conscious of it now. But you know, I think this is a very serious thing for us to contemplate. The Lord hears everything that comes out of our mouths. And he knows with, it, with what attitude it's coming from. Which nature is in control when it comes out. It's either our nature or we trust. Most of the time, it would be nice if it would be the Spirit of God speaking in and through us to the Lord's honor and glory in any given situation. Now, these, with these passages in mind, what we've read here in James is not something we should take lightly. It's a very important chapter and not one we enjoy studying. But even the ones that we mentioned in verse 1, be slow to speak. When we get in the most trouble is when we speak before we think. It's a reaction. An inner reaction to what has taken place, and we just have to say something, mainly in retaliation. And then, of course, uh, we also read in chapter 3, verse 2, for in many things we all stumble. This is something you want to keep in mind. Before you speak out against somebody else who you feel has fallen and done something wrong, keep in mind, God's word makes it very clear here in chapter 3, verse 2, for in many things we all stumble. Yes, we all make mistakes. We all say the wrong thing. And invariably, you're going to say the wrong thing first. Well, how's that person going to respond? Well, I have no control how you respond. But I do have control over how. I respond to what you might say first. You have to understand, none of us is perfect. We understand that. That's not an excuse. It's a reality. And we have to keep in mind uh, what we see in verse 8, that the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. 
Now, that's not encouraging, is it? But that's what God's word says. <laughs> that's what God's word says. We have to understand that our tongue cannot be tamed. We can't do it. All right? It is an unruly evil. Evil. Full of deadly poison. Those are some powerful phrases. You see, here James follows up the statement he had back in chapter 2, verse 20, the faith without works is dead, by reminding them that words are not just limited to actions. Works are. Words are also works. And I want to refer you again to verse 13 as the scriptural basis for that statement. We don't think of our words being works of righteousness or unrighteousness. But they are. And of all the works of righteousness and unrighteousness we have to deal with, which we read about in chapter 2, this is the hardest by far. To control the tongue. To control how we respond to our brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, the emphasis here is on brethren. Believers. Yes, we know what goes on in the world. You know, it's so difficult when you hear on the news, and then, of course, reactions to the news, commentaries on the news. Everybody has their opinion. And when you listen to all these people, everything, nearly everything is negative, is against, is contrary, is putting down. Very little is ever said in this world about lifting and building up and encouraging. And if only the people in, in our governmental systems and educational systems and any system were involved in. But understand, you get much further encouraging people than just letting it fly, tearing them down. Now, in the world, we kind of expect that. But you know, according to God's word in the household of God, amongst his children, this ought not to be. We're told point blank, this is not to be. And then unfortunately, how many of us have our feelings hurt? How many people up and leave and do things because of what somebody said that should probably not have been said, and they cannot just let it go? Now. In chapter 3, verse 1, he begins with a warning. Let many of you, or let not many of you become teachers. Now, in the Revised Standard, the primary emphasis seems to be those gifted to, by God to teach his word. We know that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, the Lord Jesus, the risen Christ, gave Paul five gifts that were going to be given to the church. And one of those was the gift of teaching. All right? And most people feel that this statement here by James in, this, in chapter 3, verse 1, primarily has those people in mind. Now, that would be people like myself. And I, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you. Uh, this passage scares me. It really does. I am very conscious that as a teacher of God's word, I am going to be held accountable for how I teach God's word. 
But you see, I, I also believe it goes beyond that. Because, you know, it also says in Timothy and in Titus, there are those who are to be apt to teach. And there's a difference between the gift to teach and being apt to teach. And, of course, it's identified with elders and deacons. Being apt to teach means you know enough about the Word of God. So when you're confronted with a question or a problem or dealing with one of the saints who are under you in in the assembly, you are able to give them an answer from the Word of God. I had a dear uncle who was a fellow elder with me uh, who was so gifted in the Word of God but could not teach at all. In fact, everybody kept begging him, oh, George, you got to do it. You got to, man, you're, now he says, it's not my gift. It's not my gift. But he finally said, okay, I'll do it. And he got done and he came down and he said to the group, don't you ever ask me to do that again. That is not my gift. And yet I'll tell you, if there was anybody in the assembly who was sick, going through very deep waters, there's one man that was apt to teach. He could go to anyone and open God's word and give them exactly what they needed from God's word. That's being apt to teach. So we're including that group in there as well. But again, of course, we're still not finished. Because you see, in 1 Peter 3.15, we're told... Every person that asketh for a reason of the hope that is in them with meekness and reverence, we are what? We should be ready to give an answer. An answer from where? From the word of God. You see, everybody in this room is responsible. Now, when we talk about, uh, don't, this way this verse starts, you know, you might think, well, boy, I don't want to be, have the gift to teach. I certainly want to, wouldn't want to be an elder or deacon because I have to be apt to teach. And I guess I have to be very careful that I'm going to witness to somebody or share something because, you know, I may not do it right. Well, that's not what we're trying to get across here. The idea is this. One who is a teacher had better study the Word of God so he can teach the Word of God. Not his opinion of the Word of God or his ideas about the Word of God. Teach the Word of God. And those who are apt to teach, the elders and the deacons, they have to know God's word. So when they go, they can open the pages of God's word. And even for those of us, and that's all of us, who should always be ready to give an answer from Scripture. You know, the best way I've found to deal with false teachers who come knocking on my door, every time they say something, I just quote a Scripture that contradicts it. Quote a Scripture. Quote a scripture. But you see, the emphasis here is, and this is the danger, why is it that we should not be so quick to have the gifts and the ability to teach? Because you see, the, the Lord expects you to practice what you preach. See, I'm teaching about the tongue tonight. Well, who's doubly responsible to watch his tongue? I am. That scares me. See, it drives me to the the Lord and say, Lord, you've got to help me. Because, you see, I'm the one who's telling people this, 
But if I'm out with my mouth blabbing and acting like the world, oh, the Lord's going to hold me accountable for that. And that's the same with those who are apt to teach. If you're going to be sharing with people who need to hear the word of God, make sure that it's taking place in your life. You're living it. And even as you witness, you know, it's one thing to witness and then live in the world. What do people look at? They say, well, why would I listen to you? You do the same things I do. You talk the same way I do. You see, we have to make sure that if we're going to witness and talk to people about the, the word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, that it has to be active in my life, in your life. And that's the message that he's trying to drive across here. Knowing that you shall receive a greater judgment. In Matthew 12, 37, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees warned, By the words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. So James basically here is just warning all of us who profess to others the way of Christ and the, the way that they should live. You had better be doing it in your own life or you will receive a greater judgment. And of course, with the believer, that will take place at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I'm not throwing this out to discourage you from doing these things. That's the last thing I want to do. You know, the Lord has given you the gift to teach, boy, you work and develop it by getting in his word and taking opportunities when they come up to teach the word of God. And you know, when you go and visit people and open the word of scripture, boy, look to the Lord and do it. And always be ready to give an answer for what the hope that is in you to anybody who might ask. Well, why is it you're different in this way? Well, you can point to the scriptures and tell them why you're different this way. But the key is be sure you're living it in your life. That's the key thing here as James is trying to get across. Now, we have to practice what we preach is the bottom line. Now, in verses uh, 2 through 12, we've only looked at the first verse there, but it vividly explains how difficult, even impossible it is to control the tongue and all the terrible results in it. And in trying to determine how to do this, uh, the Lord kind of gave me the idea, well, there's two things we're just going to really focus on which covers this entire area. And all we, uh, these passages remind us that we should, what we should guard our tongues in speaking in two respects. First of all, in speaking about yourself. Guard your tongue in the way you speak about yourself. First of all, in speaking about your salvation. You know, it's easy, you know, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I'm going to be with the Lord. The Spirit of God is in my life. And I'm really letting you know that. Well, that, that's good. That's good that we can share those things. But you have to understand is you have to be careful how you speak about yourself and your relationship with Christ concerning your salvation. You know, just look at Romans chapter 3 a moment. Romans chapter 3, verse 9. Anytime you're going to share the gospel with somebody else, always keep this in mind. Because you see, people you want to share the gospel with are unbelievers. 
There are people who don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the only true and living God. They don't believe he's the only way of salvation. And this is something you want to understand. So don't come across, well, you know, I'm holier than you are. I'm, I'm better than you are because I have Christ in my life. Well, that's true, but you have to understand something. And that is when you're talking about yourself, remember what we read here in uh, Romans chapter 3, verses 9 on. What then, are we better than they? Not at all. But we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin, as it is written. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They are all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Now, do you find a place to exclude yourself there? You see, what I'm trying to say is, you know, when you're going to witness to others, remember what you were. Never forget what you were before Christ came into your life and changed it. You know, I think you may have heard the uh, saying, the only thing that you added to your salvation was the sin you needed to be forgiven of. That's it. You added nothing else to your salvation. It's very clear here in Romans. So when you're witnessing to other people, understand it's important how you come across and how you speak. You know, don't be afraid to let them know. I was a guilty sinner, still am. You know, because you and I know the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior, it doesn't mean we're no longer sinners. We're just forgiven sinners. That's the only difference between me and this unsaved person I'm talking to. Other than that, we are exactly the same. So when you're talking about your salvation and sharing it, remember what you really were and are by nature. Another thing, what about what we have? And the thing that came to mind here, because I know uh, situations where this happened, were relating to spiritual gifts. You know the problem that's been created in the household of God because of differences of opinion on spiritual gifts? You know, some places teach, if you haven't had this gift, you still haven't arrived. And I think I asked this the last time we were together. What is the most important spiritual gift? Well, there is no most important spiritual gift. They're all important for what reason? Every last one of them comes from God. He's the one who has given each and every one of us the spiritual gift we had. We had nothing to do with it. And I think I mentioned last time, when the Spirit of God came into your life, he basically brought a spiritual gift with him. You may not have known what it was when he came into your life, but over the course of time, it has been revealed to you by him and developed in you by him as you allow him to do his work in and through your life in the way that he's gifted you. Be very careful how you talk about uh, your spiritual gifts, the things that you have in Christ. Also, what you do, your service. Now, we all are to serve the Lord. 
and I trust everybody here is. But can you imagine what it would be if we were all serving them in exactly the same way? They're all different. Our services and all are extremely important. You know, in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, we serve the Lord out of necessity. All of us do. Why? Because of what he has done for us. What we need to do is just humble ourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So guard your tongue in relationship to talking to yourself. Made very clear in this third chapter. The second thing is, is speaking about others. Guard your tongue in speaking about others. Now, I'm just going to ask you a, a question that I'm sure you will relate to. Have you ever met a person who must give an opinion on every issue, a judgment on every situation, a verdict on every person, who must simply have their, way, their say, who are very critical of others, or one who gossips? Have you ever found a person like that? My, my, my wife's looking up there and saying, yeah, I know a guy like that. <laughs> and there's times that she's right. Are you somebody like that? You know, it's so easy. You see, when you get in a little discussion, and it's something that you feel strongly about, all of a sudden you just have to take over and get take charge, give your opinion, and you have to have the last say or you're not happy. Well, you see, we have to be very careful in speaking about others. I came across a, a little article years and years, I mean, probably 40 plus years ago, and I kept it. And the second reason here, you know, is, is, is the mischief that comes by speaking about other people. This story is about a woman. I, I have to mention, I didn't write the story. I just mentioned that because I, I'm not picking on women. Men do the same thing, okay? I understand that, so, but this one does. But this, listen, is, it's not important about the man or the woman. The thing is what's taking place here. You see, the reason we have to avoid how we speak to others is because of the mischief it starts. The old story is told of the woman who, after years of malicious tongue-waggering, became convicted of her sin and came to her minister to ask his advice. He listened carefully to her story and then said, if you want a clear conscience, you must take a bag of goose feathers and go around the neighborhood and put a goose feather outside the door of every single person you have slandered. Away she went, and a long time later returned to the minister with an empty bag. I have done what you said, she reported, but I feel no better. Ah, no, said the minister. You have only done half the job. You, what you must now do is go around and pick up all the feathers again. Now it so happened that there was a high wind blowing that day with the result that when the woman returned hours later with her empty bag, weary and dejected, she sadly said, it is no good. I can't find a single feather. It is, it is easy enough to put them down, but I can't get even one of them back again. Precisely, said the minister. And in just the same way, it is easy to scatter your words of criticism and rumor, but now that they have gone, it is impossible to bring them back. Makes a pretty good point, doesn't it? 
You know, in Proverbs 6 again, verses 16 through 19, it lists seven things that the Lord hates. And as you go through there, three of them relate to the tongue. Seven things the Lord hates. They're sin. How we use our tongue is probably the greatest cause of most of the sin in our lives. And that's why this book by the Spirit of God written with James is so important. It plays more havoc amongst the saints of God than anything else. If we would only learn the mischief it starts. The second thing about speaking unwisely is the, is the merit it suggests. And, you know, three times in Acts chapter 18, verses 12 through 17, I was going to read it, but we don't have time. Uh, we have Gallio uh, sitting on the judgment seat, the Bema seat. And, of course, the Bema seat was a very enormous stone that Gallio stood on to judge those below him. Now, it has nothing to do with the context of James, but it does have to do with the statement here. When you don't guard your tongue, understand the merit it suggests. When you have to have your say, and you say things to and about people you shouldn't be saying. You see, how high he had to go, raise himself up to look down on those he was judging. And of course, the suggestion we have, the subtle, unconscious, terrible truth is that when we are busy criticizing and judging others, we are suggesting that we are above the things for which we are judging them. Have you ever thought of it that way? You know, but for the grace of God, <laughs> do you know what you could be like? You know, we have no business judging others. It's clear in this passage that we read today. There's only one who is capable of judging. Why is it we cannot judge righteously? Because we never know the whole story. We only judge based upon what we know. And we draw conclusions about the rest. Therefore, when you judge and I judge... No wonder we judge falsely. There's only one who knows it all. And that's the righteous judge. He knows the whole story. And that's why he can judge righteously. We are not able to do that. You know, when we're talking here about these, the latter part of the chapter, which we, don't have to, we won't have time to discuss in detail because I've already mentioned, when we talk about wisdom that is earthly and wisdom that is spiritual, well, you can see how that relates to the tongue. <laughs> you know, when you have wisdom that is earthly, the tongue's going to follow it. And when your wisdom comes from above, and we learned in chapter 1, you have to ask for that. There's not one person in this room who has spiritual wisdom in themselves. You just don't have it. I'm sorry. You need to ask for it in prayer believing, chapter 1. And when you ask for it, 
he will give it. The only way you will have spiritual wisdom in using your tongue is when you ask the Lord to give you spiritual wisdom in using your tongue. Now, there's been all different ways this particular chapter could have been dealt with. This is the way I was led to deal with it. I hope it was sufficient enough to drive home the important point. The tongue, no one can tame. It is poison. It will destroy. You have one choice, one good choice. Pray for spiritual wisdom in the use of your tongue. Let the Spirit of God control your tongue. You can't do it. Now, knowing all this, is the problem solved? <laughs> no. We just reminded you of what you've already known. It's what God's word says about it. I trust all of us will go home tonight and pray for spiritual wisdom concerning our tongue. And maybe pray that every morning when you get up. Today, Lord, give me spiritual wisdom, not just in your tongue, in everything, but particularly in light of what we talked about tonight, in the use of your tongue. Oh, how we need to encourage one another. Build one another up. Keep that thing in your mouth if you're going to start tearing down and judging one another. May God just help us to do his will in this area. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you and praise you again for your word. A word which is very powerful. It's very sharp. It pierces us right on through, even to the marrow of our bone. We know how guilty we are in the improper use of our tongue. We know that we cannot deal with this in ourselves. We must ask for spiritual wisdom from you and allow you to control this terrible thing that we often do, and that is use our tongue in a means that dishonors you, tears one another down, and causes divisions and distress and strife in the lives of so many people. Oh, Lord, just help us to be doers of this word and not just hearers of it only. Part us now with your blessing. Bring us to our various homes in safety, we pray. We ask these things and give you the praise and thanksgiving in Jesus' precious name. Amen.